If you have your Bibles with you, I hope that you do. They're wonderful things. Wonderful things. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in one of Paul's letters this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians, actually at the end of his letter to the church at Philippi. So it's, we call it Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we are in the season of Advent, um, which is uh, something that you know, fell into practice a long, long time ago, that, that throughout the calendar year... Um, which has its rhythms, whether we acknowledge them or not, they're, they're natural rhythms to our lives, um, built right into creation, right? Uh, they're natural rhythms, uh, but uh, the church decided a long time ago uh, in a different time and place to um, let the year revolve around the life of Christ. And so we're into this, this season of, of Advent right now, and it's, it's been helpful. It's not something I grew up observing, so if you didn't, you're not, you didn't miss out. Uh, you know, uh, it's just something that's, that's I've, in the last 10 years or so, found very, very helpful. Uh, one of the reasons being, it helps me focus on themes that I'm not naturally going to focus on. Right, it comes up this time of year. Uh, if it was just me, uh, left to my own devices, I, I would probably estimate that ninety percent of the sermons and hymns and songs would all just be confession. Like I don't know, that's just how I am. I just need to confess. Like just like I just feel that. Like if maybe if I confess enough. So so it, the, having other people and having the church calendar reminds us that we need to talk about more than just what would come up in my own thinking and feeling, yeah? And so one of the themes that we've been talk, we talked about last week, one of the themes of Advent, one of the biblical ideas, concepts, doctrines that, that we see all the way through scripture is, is the doctrine of waiting <laughs> or the theology of waiting. Or what does it mean even to wait and that we live in Advent our whole lives? Because Advent's the time between, when we focus on the time that is between the arrival of Jesus as a baby and his return as conquering king, right? As a child in a manger and as a conquering king on a horse, right? Coming back. So these two arrivals, and, and, and so we look back and we look forward, right? This is our whole life. We look back to the celebration that we have of what Jesus did. And so as we prepare for the celebration of Christmas and his first arrival, we look forward to that, but we also look forward to his return. And I love that so much. So what does it mean to wait? And uh, we talked about that last week, to to be still and to have hope um, because of what he's done. And so uh, this week, we're going to look at another theme. Uh, We're going to look at uh, what it means to have peace. Jesus uh, is called in Isaiah the Prince of Peace, uh, looking forward to his arrival. Uh, So we're going to talk about peace today. I want to start with this in in Philippians chapter 4. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Uh, I love this. Uh, he just, hold on a second, sorry. So he's just like, hey, every, like, rejoice. Maybe you didn't hear me. That's kind of the, the vibe. He's like, rejoice. Listen, it's no trouble for me to say it again. Rejoice. This is who you're supposed to be. So he's, he's kind of wrapping up his letter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or maybe gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, 
whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Rejoice. Uh, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now that at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul uh, is telling these people that, that the Christian life is a life of rejoicing. Uh, and so all that you're going through and all that you're struggling with, he gets to this place and he says toward near the end of his letter, and he says, listen, like rejoice. Let everybody see why that's a reasonable thing, to, a reasonable way to be in the world. And he says that, that God's at hand, and he says this, he says, don't be, don't be anxious about anything. But ask God with, with, with thanksgiving, make everything that you need known to him, and this is the peace of God will, will surpass, which surpasses all things. So Paul says this, he says, there is a peace out there that I have, a peace that I possess. It's a secret, I'm gonna tell you the secret. That's what he says at the end, he goes, let me tell you the secret, I've learned the secret. There's a peace at hand, and that God provides, and Paul says that this peace that he has, he says it doesn't even make any sense. He goes, I have a peace that you can have. It's a secret. That, that I'm going to tell you the secret how to have it. But it doesn't even make any sense it's so great. Not only that, he says this peace is not some kind of peace that he has, that he's, dwelled, that he's figured out inside of himself. He says it's, a, it's God's peace itself. He said the peace that God has, the peace that dwells with him, I know how, I know how you can get that. And so this peace that is not even his, that God's given to him, that he has because it's been given to him as a gift, he now has this peace in such a way that it doesn't matter what happens in his life. It, it can be really hard and he can have nothing and he can be without, or he can have plenty to eat and plenty, plenty of, of, of things going on in his life and, and abundance and it doesn't really face him that much. It doesn't take that peace that he has away from him. You know, that little passage that we read, that, that 413, or sorry, that, that passage that we just read that ends with 413, which is a pretty famous verse. Right? The number of professional athletes that have that tattooed. I can do all things through Jesus, all the things through him who strengthens me. Tattooed on them is amazing. The very few people have tattooed on them, uh, I must decrease so that he can increase. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like no, it's like, it, it, it's, it's this idea, and it's a beautiful idea, and it's true, but when Paul's writing about this, he's not talking about being able to make it in the NBA. He's talking about making it through suffering. He's talking about making it through abundance. What he's talking about when he says that I can do all things, what he's saying is no matter what comes my way, I will not be held hostage by my circumstances. I will be held firm by the peace that God has given me. I will not be a slave to my circumstances, but I will be a slave to my Savior, and that will anchor me that no matter what waves crash over me, no matter what abundance comes, I can face the loss and the sadness of having very little, but I can also face the temptations of having abundance because of who Jesus is. So he possesses this peace, and he says it's something that other people can have. So, let's start here. Um, 
So peace for us, right, for me, you know, we think about peace in the Middle East, right? Like the absence of conflict. The other way that we kind of use it in, in um, our languages uh, uh, commonly, or at least me, is could I get a little peace and quiet, please? Right? I just need some peace. And what, we, what I mean by that is I need you all to leave me alone. That's what I mean. Everybody out of the room right now is what I mean when I say I need a little peace and quiet. What I mean is that the, removal of the, uh, uh, the removal of conflict or things that are interrupting me, I just need that gone. And we use language that way as the absence of something most often when we use that word. And, and the Bible uses the word that way too. The uh, Old Testament word, I don't love throwing around... Uh, looking up Hebrew words and sharing, but you probably heard this one before. It's shalom is the Hebrew word most often used for peace. If you're gonna know a few Hebrew words, you gotta know amen, that's a, that's a Hebrew word, uh, and then maybe shalom is number two, uh, words that you should know. Uh, and, and the reason that I bring it up and, and tell you is because it's often translated peace, but it's just, man, it just, it means more. It can mean this, but it means more than the absence of something. It not only means the absence of conflict, it means the presence of something else. So when they're talking about peace almost all the way through scripture, it's not just missing something, it's gaining something. So let me give you an example. In Joshua, uh, Joshua 8, it says that they're going to build this altar, and they're going to build an altar of uncut stones. No cracks in them, unfinished. This uncut, that word is shalom. Uncut stone, whole, perfect, complete he also talks about it in Kings when uh, Solomon finishes the temple. So three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings before before the Lord. So he finished the house. That's shalom. It's complete. It's done. You hear it in Job uh, talking about being safe and secure. You shall know that your tent is at peace. Why? You inspect your fold and nothing's missing. So it's not just the absence of something, it's that everything is there. Genesis 43 says, um, it's about your welfare. Uh, he inquired about their welfare and said, is, it, is your father Shalom, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? Is your father well? It was a greeting that would say, like, is everything whole with you? Is everything complete with you? It had to do with your well-being or stones or rocks or whatever. Second Kings, it says this, it has to do with making somebody whole from a debt. She came and told the man of God and said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. Shalom. To make someone else whole. It was also used if something happened where I injured one of your animals in the law, right? If I injured one of your animals, I would make you whole by giving you that animal back. Shalom. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of something else. It's the presence of wholeness, it's the presence of completeness, it's the presence of satisfaction, the complete satisfaction that God gives us. Peace is the ideal creation that God is working to destroy, is working to restore. That's what we're talking about, this wholeness in all of our lives. So what does the absence of this peace look like, right? So in the Bible, you, you see this almost immediately, right? So God creates this amazing world, and in Genesis chapter three, you see the breakdown of wholeness and completeness. God has made everything, and it is good, and Adam and Eve are in the garden, and he's made everything, and he's provided for them in every way, and they eat in plenty. Eat of all the trees except for one, and you will have all of this plenty, all of these things I will give you. It's whole, and it is complete, and the relationship with God is good. And they decide that they're gonna go their own way. And what happens after they take the fruit they were not supposed to eat of, and they're tricked by this superior spiritual being, 
And they eat of this fruit, Adam and Eve, and the first thing that happens is they notice that they are naked and they hide. The first thing that happens when they sin against God is, when they sin is, do what God has told them not to do, is that two relationships are fractured at the same time. The relationship with God is now fractured. Right? Because his rightful place as Lord, his rightful place is the one that needs to be obeyed. That relationship's fractured. You've, you've disobeyed. But also in that fracture, your relationship with each other, uh, your, uh, your relationship with each other has now broken. Now there's shame between us that didn't exist before. That relationship is damaged. And you go to Genesis chapter four, the very next chapter, and their, their children, one of their sons kills the other son because he's jealous of him. The immediate what happens in God's perfect good creation when sin enters the world is that things begin to fall apart. Evil and sin enter the world and they damage our relationship with God and they damage the relationship with each other and then it all goes downhill from there. Mental, emotional, Physical wholeness is gone, and therefore relational wholeness is just damaged beyond repair. This is the biblical notion. Matter of fact, it says that creation is fractured as well. Creation itself is changed because of this. This is what it looks like. So modern in our modern world, this is the way it shows up for us a lot of times. It shows up in anxiety, right? It shows up that do you know how that feeling that something isn't right? That feeling that we have that something isn't right and everything's not going to be okay? I don't know if you have that or not, but it wakes me up in the night. This feeling that it's not going to be fine. This feeling that I don't have what I need and the thing that I do have is going to be taken from me. That anxiety that we live with, that is a consequence of this relational brokenness. That I'm missing out. That I am not enough. This guilt that I have over what I have done. These are all things that show up in this lack of shalom. So we feel pulled apart. At least I do. I think I don't want to put that on you necessarily, but just every single one of you that I've ever talked to, we feel pulled apart. We feel like we, um, that we're inadequate. That maybe if we reach enough success or have enough relationship or if our family means enough or or whatever it is, if we have enough of something that maybe one day we'll be complete, right? I can't help it. I tried to avoid it. It was so obvious, but I have to do it anyway. You know, you know uh, that, that old movie, maybe you don't, maybe some are young and I'm introducing you to a movie that you don't need to see. There's this movie, Jerry Maguire, and there's a really cheesy line in this movie, Jerry Maguire, where like, they just, I don't know, I don't remember what happened, you know, but like something happened when they were broken up, I guess, or whatever, and, they, and so he runs into a room and he has this, this pretty famous line in the movie where he looks at her and he says, you, you complete me. And everybody goes, oh. It's very cheesy. And then it launches after like, like a bunch of articles afterwards of like, oh, it's a terrible message to send everybody that relationships will make you whole. Like you can make, be whole on your own. Like just try your job or like a new hobby or being nice. And like this, but it, the reason this, this thing resonates so much with us is that that's what, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for completeness. We're looking for wholeness. That's why that line had such the impact that it did, right? It's because, yeah, I, oh my God, he found what makes him whole. And I would argue that the whole sad history of humanity is just us looking for something besides God to make us whole. Just looking for something else to make us complete. We're looking for that shalom. 
I think that, uh, I think social media plays into this, right? By the way, I was, as I was doing something, I was like, I just, for research reasons, I looked at my, uh, my screen time. Uh, and by, I guess it was 8.30 or 9.00 this morning when I looked at it, I touched my phone, picked it up 52 times. I picked up the anxiety machine 52 times before 8.30. I wish they just wouldn't tell me that. This is very upsetting. I think social media plays into these things, and even if I want to look at social media, it's, it's all technology plays into this thing where it's constantly needing our attention, right? But social media plays into it this way. I think it's aware of this brokenness and it's just found this sweet spot. Uh, this, this need to be whole and complete so we're constantly seeking. So social media allows us to constantly be seeking. And if we don't find it here, we'll look here. And if we don't find here, we'll find here. We'll look here. And if we have it here for a little while, but then something happens and somebody upsets us or, or we upset somebody, then we have to leave that community and go here. And so we're constantly moving, trying to find the place where we belong. And the problem is that most ha- after a long time, long enough time, what ends up happening out there in the social media is you just kind of end up alone. You know, with the peace and quiet, but no shalom. We're quiet and we have peace because we've finally just ended up by ourselves and we're still, we're still not whole. <laughs> we're constantly looking and constantly seeking for this thing. So Paul says that, by the way, if you're curious about one of the reasons that I believe the Bible is true, this is an ancient text that speaks to a modern condition in a powerful way. Like on the first three pages of the Bible, like so much of human history has been like, I don't understand why we feel this way. Why, do we, why are we constantly seeking? Why, like so much of human, in the Bible on first three pages is uh, because you were made for a relationship with your creator and it was damaged by sin. Like it just, this, it's right there at the very beginning. That's amazing. So uh, Paul says, uh, in this, this section uh, to the letter, he says that this, this peace that you're looking for, this completeness and this wholeness, that, that you can have it, that it can be learned. He says, look, follow me as I do this. He says it can be learned, and he says that no matter what happens, that you can be solid in anything that comes your way. So he says this, Roshan Lord always, let your reasonableness be known before everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In our prayers to God, when we ask God for things, Paul says, go. Like, take, like the reason you're anxious is because you're constantly just not taking things to God. Take them to God, but when you take them to God, take them with thanksgiving. Don't take them conditionally. Go to God and go, hey, God, this is what I need. Also, thank you. Not so much thank you that you've answered the prayer the way that I want you to answer it. Thank you that you're God and that I can come to you and ask you for things. Thankful that no matter what we've asked for, God will give us what we need instead. Thankful that we have a father that we can run to and who will answer us. Unbelievable. Go to God with a thankful heart that he is who he said he is. He's done what he said he's going to do. We're so anxious so much of the time. You know what? I think one of the things, that the major things that, that contributes to our anxiety, our need, our lack of feeling like everything's not going to be okay, is this just insane reality that we humans just can't see the future. Right? I mean, most of the time you're anxious. What is it? It's like, what's going to be taken from me? Uh, will I ever have this? We just don't know the future, so we live consciously anxious. And so Paul says, hey, why don't you go to the one who does know the future? Why don't you go to the one who's the author of the future and just give it to him and trust that he knows what's best for you? And be grateful for that. Um, it's, have you ever watched a 
game after it happened? Like you've seen it before, right? Like you've watched a football game, you saw a football game, and you were there alive, and you go back and you watch it again, right? And, and, and the bad thing happens, right? And you, oh, 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 but you know who wins anyway, right? Do you have the same level of anxiety? No, because you know what happens. Does it mean like you still feel some of the things, but you don't know? He said, go to, go to God and know that he knows how this ends. And that you end as a child of his, secure forever. Go to God, ask for what you need, but know that he knows the ending and that there's nothing that can ever be taken away from you. Nothing that will can ever be taken away from you that will not be restored to you more gloriously than you could have ever dreamed of it. So we go to him. You want this peace. You want this completeness that keeps you anchored. He says, go to God with your prayers. But go with thankfulness, knowing he knows what you need. And he says this, you go to him, and what will happen is that he will guard you in Christ Jesus. God will stand guard over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. The secret is it's not your peace, it's a peace that comes from God, and God will stand over your watch, over your anxious heart and your anxious mind. He will guard you. In Christ Jesus. Jesus is this, presented as this, as, this, as this prince of peace, this one who brings shalom into the world. Paul says this, let me read you this, Ephesians. It's, like just, book, it's, a chapter, it's another letter that he wrote. I want to read to you the, uh, Ephesians uh, 2. Because he talks about this there too. Uh, he says this. Oh, wow, come on. Here it is. Uh, therefore, remember that you, uh, one time, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised, or what's called the circumcised, which is made with uh, hands in the uh, by, made in the flesh by hands. Remember uh, that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. You were a long way off, and now you've been brought near. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself is your peace. He is your wholeness. He is the completeness, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who are near. For, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus came and he made peace for us. This brokenness between our relationship with God, that relational damage and the relationships with each other, Jesus has come and he has healed those. He's healed them. He's made them right. Look, moderns, here's how that works. Um, I think the modern message for how to have peace is um, it's distraction, right? It's, just, it's distract, distraction and escape, right? You want peace? What do you need to do? Hey, here's an app. Watch this thing. Hey, you want peace? Hey, don't think about that stuff. Here, let me distract you from this reality. Let me pull you out of reality and distract you with this. Hey, you know what? Go on vacation, right? Just be gone from the realities of things. The problem is you can't like be on vacation forever, right? Like if you just move to the beach, then you just live at the beach, right? You're not on vacation. You're still there. The problems are still there, 
So you can't just live on vacation. You can't just escape for everything. I think the, or, hey, you know what? How about, how about we teach you to set boundaries, which is a good thing to do? Let me, let me just, you know what? Let me give you a technique to remove yourself from this situation and separate yourself from these people. All of these kind of like skills to avoid or apps to distract or trips to take to pretend like you're escaping. And I, I, I don't know if you've noticed, it's, it's not working. And the Bible has this really crazy other way of dealing with it, which is this. How about you just look at reality? How about you just deal with the reality of who you are and the world that you live in and what God has done about that? It's just very, very realistic. A modern person would say, probably, hey, Chris, don't talk to me about sin. Right? I already feel bad, about, bad enough about myself. Don't talk to me, me about being a sinner. I know that I, you know, I just, that's just that's an outdated concept and, and whose morality and blah, 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 blah. We need the doctrine of sin. We need the idea and notion of sin to deal with reality or we're always going to be running from a thing that we can't escape. The doctrine of sin tells us that there is a damaged relationship that needs to be repaired with God and with each other. It says that this sin this has infected all of creation and that, that, that we have to do something to deal with it, but we also need to, as we realize that we have this darkness inside of us and around us, this sin that must be dealt with, we also need the doctrine of grace with it. The doctrine of sin by itself, ugh, it's terrible. The doctrine of grace with it is amazing. The doctrine of grace comes along and says, yes, you sit in the dark. There are dark places in your soul. Yes, your relationship with God is so damaged. It's beyond anything that you could repair. It's just causing you problems with relationships with other people. And here comes the doctrine of grace and says, but you were so deeply loved anyway. It's the dawning of the light. That yes, there is darkness in me. Yes, there is darkness in the world. But God has done something about what I couldn't do anything about. And this doctrine of grace infects us. And it begins to overwhelm us. And it begins to work inside of us and change us. And we don't understand everything because the light is just dawning. But we understand and we see what we can't see, what we can't understand. Jesus tells us and the Holy Spirit guides us. He brings peace with God, and this in turn heals relationships with other people. We learn how to be in the world. What I need from other people that's causing the damage, when, you, when, I'm, when I'm offended or hurt or I hurt and offend you and we have to run away, the gospel says, no, 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 you don't need that person to give that to you. God's already given you that acceptance so you can forgive and you can love. So here's how Paul says to deal with this. And he says, listen, um, think about these things uh, follow me as I've practiced this I've learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you he says that we go out and we practice it <laughs> we go out and, and, and practice the reality that we have been made different in Christ Jesus so here's this what is the thing that robs us what lies do we believe that rob us of peace what idols do we have that steal peace from us that's the thing that we look for I know that in my own life, um, yeah, I've told you guys before, uh, control issues. Like, I, I, 
I have control issues. No, nobody here has known me for more than 30 minutes is surprised. I, I just have control. I, and so what happens is, in, with somebody with control issues is, uh, and it's good to manage things, right? It's good, like, you can't just, like, live however. Like, you, you need plans, right? I'm not saying, you need plans. But somebody with control issues, when the plans don't go exactly right, they lose control. They lose their mind. I have control issues. And so what that means is this. I have taken this, this thing, that, this idea that I can control and manage everything, and I've put it at the top. And as long as everything goes exactly the way that I want it to, that idol lives happily right there at the top. But everything underneath it has to be subordinate to it. Everything beneath it. That means my relationships, they need to go the way I need them to do. I need to be able to control them. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lose my mind my day needs to go exactly how I've planned it or and as long as it does everything's fine I'm going to lose my mind Jesus telling me to do things that don't fit into my plan I'm going to be disobedient and lose my mind and I put this at the very very top and I serve it every day I wake up and I meditate on it and I think about it how everything will just be fine if it goes exactly the way I have it planned now here's the insane part of all that there's zero evidence that's ever worked out great for me but I'll wake up tomorrow and try to do it again. Crazy. Instead, what Paul says is, you recognize the situation, you recognize this, and you put Christ at the top, and then my control issues live down here. Yes, I plan, and I put them in order, but it's never, ever going to compete with the lordship of Jesus Christ because it's in its proper place. Now, it might not be control issues for you, right? You might just need to please everybody. And that lives right up here at top. And you're going to please everybody. And as long as everybody's happy with you, you're going to be just fine. But if my plans go wrong, I'm going to lose it. If somebody's mad at you because you're trying to please somebody else, you're going to lose it because it lives at the top. And it's fine to have people want to like you, but it needs to be in its proper place underneath the lordship of Jesus if you want to have peace. Otherwise, you're going to feel pulled apart. Paul says you go practice this. So here's how this works. One, listen to the truth of the gospel. You're a sinner saved by grace. That is amazing news. You listen to it and you hear it and then you confess and repent for not believing it. Hey, God, I I believed yesterday that if everything went exactly as I wanted, exactly as I planned it, everything was gonna be okay. It didn't and I acted a fool. I confess that I don't believe that you're gonna take care of everything the way that I think it needs to be done. I think that I know better than you how to rule and I confess and I repent of that and then I begin to apply the truth, the gospel. You're my father and even though I don't understand, I can't see. I believe you want good for me. Or if you're trying to please everybody and that sits at the top, you go, the gospel says that those people don't get the right to declare me righteous. That is God's right. And so in my heart, I go to him and go, hey, I gave, uh, I gave a bunch of people today the authority to declare me good and moral and right and good, and I took that away from you. And I confess that and I repent from it. I'm not going to do it again tomorrow. And I apply that gospel and I practice it. And here's the thing. Sometimes God does this amazing thing where he switches it. He just, just rips that apart in your heart and he breaks you and he heals you and you get so much better immediately. And it's a miracle. And sometimes because you've been applying that false, that false relationship, that, that false order, that you've been applying that lie and living that lie so long, you've been living it for 25, 35, 40 years and you get mad when it's not fixed in a week. Come on now. You apply that truth every day, and over time, God begins to heal you. And sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it's over years. Sometimes it's over decades. Sometimes it's the rest of your life, and it's a miracle. 
that God is working inside us to change us and make us more like him. Rejoice. It's no trouble for me to say it to you again. Rejoice. The king has come and he is coming again. The light has dawned and it speaks into the darkness. And yes, there is darkness inside of us, but there is grace. And in Christ Jesus, God's peace can be ours that no matter what comes, we remain unshaken. May the world see our reasonableness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for how you have worked in my life through this church by your spirit to point me to the reality that I need salvation in Jesus Christ. Change me and make me more like him. I want the peace of Paul. I want Paul's peace that he got from you and that you've promised to us. So I come to you and I ask, God, give us your peace. Crush the anxiety that I have that I don't know the future. Crush the anxiety that I have that I cannot control a single minute of my life. And put Jesus in a firm place in my life as Lord. When when what's taken from me hurts and I feel loss, I don't feel despair. And when good things come and and abundance comes, that I do not feel that I deserve it, but I recognize that it is a gift from you and I worship you. Guard me from the temptations of having much. Give us this day our daily bread. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.